Hello everyone. Today we have a very special guest. Her name is Lauren Petrullo. Lauren is a former Disney Innovation Catalyst, now turned social media and social commerce specialist and multi-founder. Lauren is the CEO and founder of Mongoose Media, a full-service advertising agency, and AsianBeautyEssentials.com, an e-commerce website. Lauren has been named the winner of Prism's Top 100 Marketing and Advertising Leaders and has been featured in Forbes, Inc.com, Yahoo, Shopify, Advertising Week, and Computer World, to name just a few. She is currently learning three different Asian languages simultaneously. She is fluent in Italian since she, since she is married to one, and she loves reading. Before we start, I'd like to announce that Lauren has very kindly granted our listeners a promo code they can use at AsianBeautyEssentials.com. So our listeners can enter IJK at checkout for a 20% discount on any order. Thank you, Lauren. Welcome and very happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So my first question is, uh, it's a burning one, actually. Oh. What is it like to work for the greatest entertainment company in the world, Disney? Ah, Well, um, it really was like a dream come true. I grew up really fortunate that my family, we could go to Disney a few times. Um, when I was a kid, we'd crash on the couches because our friends would have like apartments through Disney Timeshare. And so I knew when I was 10 that I wanted to work for the Disney company. I had like interviewed all the employees being like, I'm going to work for you or with you one day. Um, so it was wow. amazing. Like um, I started working with them um, when I was in college. I did an internship program. So I actually worked inside the castle. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. I worked uh, at Cinderella's Royal Table. I got to see the magic. I got to see um, kids and families meet princesses for the first time and like have this like otherworldly experience. Um, and then after college, I rejoined the Walt Disney Company and I did business consulting and later marketing. It was incredible to say the least because you got to deal with like unrealistic budgets. Um, Disney has a lot of money to support these campaigns. And um, especially with the marketing side, we were I was an innovation catalyst and contributing mm -hmm. to the marketing departments like what if campaigns so ways to push these campaigns and push the limits um on creativity and innovation um so it was like being a grown-up five-year-old however um yeah. there's always two sides of the coin and um while disney did have really significant budgets that gave you creative flexibility to an extent um on campaigns there's still a corporation and so um, working for this media entertainment company was amazing. Working in a corporate environment, understanding the cog in the wheel and the impact of, like, when people cut cable cords, I don't think a lot of people know this, but, like, ESPN's contribution to marketing budget was massive. So when people mm -hmm. started cutting cable cords, a lot of jobs were cut. So I would see departments eviscerated. So it was a Catch-22, almost like, do we hear heroes? But I, I, I honestly loved it. I'm still very close to a lot of the friends and peers I had worked alongside with. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade for anything. Absolutely amazing. But um, if you do work for a really big company, be prepared to understand what it means to work for corporate. That's really cool. I mean, I have two daughters, and I'm sure they would be super excited to know that I spoke to somebody who used to work for Disney. They are so much in love with all those Disney princesses, from yeah. Aurora to Jasmine to Cinderella and, and, and whatnot. So, by the way, what is your, who's your favorite Disney princess? My favorite Disney princess is going to be Moana. Moana, okay. <laughs> all I right. mean, it's like, like most like, five-year-olds' favorite princesses. Um, okay. But yeah, no, 100%. It's, it's Moana. And then Hercules is my favorite Disney movie of all. Okay. It's actually my favorite movie, period. And it just happens to also be a Disney cartoon. That's really cool. All right. So moving on from Disney, you then became an entrepreneur and you, uh, you launched a full-service advertising agency. And also you are into e-commerce. And uh, more specifically, you've launched uh, a, an e-commerce dedicated to Asian products, correct? Called? Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, as a white woman, launched a beauty brand dedicated to products sourced from Asia, where a lot of our content is explicitly in Spanish. So I, I wanted oh, wow. to be confusing. I was like, hey, you know, let me drink. That's really cool. So that's a very particular niche, right? So, yeah. And how has it grown from launch till, till now? Sure, sure, sure. 
Yeah. Um, so a lot of the stuff is like part of it was that during the pandemic, I wanted to find a solution to give back to clean water initiatives because mm -hmm. I don't remember if you remember, wash your hands, wash your hands, at least in yes. Florida was the message everywhere. And it became really apparent that not everyone has access to clean water. So I thought, oh, you know what? I've helped a lot of e-commerce brands become millionaires. Um, let me try and I can, can do revenue. <laughs> so how has it come? Um, well, that naive Lauren who thought marketing for e-commerce is just as easy as running an e-commerce brand has grown up. Um, I've learned a lot, uh, but like we've used it as like part of Wong's Media is like we're the advertising hospital. So we have an internal residency program and we've used it to test these like innovative mad solutions that we know most would never or most could never try. Mm -hmm. um, so we hit some like pretty remarkable um, achievements. Like within a year, we or just over a year technically, uh, we grew our website to over 100,000 organic visitors a month. Wow. From content we wrote with SEO. That's So impressive. this was before ChatGPT. When ChatGPT came out, they were like, oh my God, it's so new. I was like, oh, I've been doing this for two years. But okay, that's <laughs> cool. Cute for you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been really great. I've, I've learned a lot. I've made so many great relationships. Um, the brand is um, more than a fun hobby. It's a passion. And uh, it continues to be like this Petri dish where we yep. train all of our pack members because with Mongoose Media, the agency, um, I can't allow pack members to touch client projects until they've proven themselves on an internal brand mm -hmm. because that's just part of our ethos. We want to make sure that anyone that is hands-on to an account, a client that's trusting us with their brand and their business has been mm -hmm. vetted beyond their resume, but with their exact Mongoose experience. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Lots, lots of trials and tribulations. Um, one thing I would just, you know, fear warning to anyone who is listening to this and is in as a website period, um, accessibility is a very, very important thing. Yeah. Um, I endured an accessibility class action lawsuit. Um, so it was something where, you know, we we always try to be the most inclusive. And if you don't have a team dedicated to accessibility, like I cannot recommend adding an accessibility widget to your website. So that was just, that was really fun things you learn. Like you're like, oh, what? Yeah. So oh. could you be more specific? Like, can you provide an example? Like what would be important uh, criteria or, or elements that one should be mindful of when we talk about accessibility? Yeah, absolutely. So you have different levels of visual impairment, right? You have total okay. blindness and then you also have individuals that um, can't see contrast. So like a lot of people will think like, oh, I just need all image text, which a screen uh -huh. reader can tell you what that image says. But All there's right. a lot more to it. Like you actually need to be able to have the ability that your website will contrast, that your website can zoom in in certain places, that if you have a menu navigation and it has a new chapter, like you have to have specific coding that can tell screen reading software what is happening if a new okay. page opens. It's a lot of technical stuff, um, mm -hmm. but at a minimum, like you need to make sure that you have your SEO meta titles and meta descriptions, your alt image tag, every mm -hmm. image needs to be described because an individual who cannot see, cannot know what that image okay. is and you're not providing an equal experience. But from my experience, like it's, it's really hard to keep up with. And because of the way that I understand, and I'm not a lawyer, um, and mm -hmm. uh, the way I understand it is that like, there's so much to the law that has been applied. It was like written in 1990 and then applied um, from New York and California judge in 2016. And the law ADA accessibility, American Disabilities Act um, yep. was made for physical entrance into a hotel or a store. So like handicapped bathrooms, handicapped parking spots have strict regulations like a van must fit. The door must be able to open it large enough so that an yep. individual on a wheelchair can get out of the car. Um, but it got applied to websites. So if you're outside of the U.S. and you have a website that's accessible in the U.S., you are going to be held accountable to this law. All right. So moving on from, from e-commerce to social commerce. So first of all, a lot of many listeners are probably wondering what is social commerce. Can we explain that in very simple terms? Uh, is the intersection of social media and e-commerce. And mm -hmm. at the simplest level, it's where you're able to purchase your products directly from a social media 
website versus going to asianmediaessentials.com. You're buying from TikTok shop. You're buying from your Instagram shop, things of that nature. Okay. Yeah, but this also entails uh, the like you having already a website because these social media would probably link to uh, to your site in the end, right? Or, or you don't have to have a site. It depends. Um, it depends on the social media platform itself. Most of the time, yes, you have a website that has an API feed that where you can have essentially a clone of your website, but mm -hmm. on the social media platform. Um, but there is an extension, like it's not just like where the transaction takes place. There's a whole umbrella that in that's inclusive of ways in which you can sell on social media, your mm -hmm. commerce products and commerce specifically are physical goods. Um, so there's, there's rules, restrictions. Um, requirements and so it depends on the platform there are some platforms that can allow you to create a product that's not available on a website throughout an api but there's also different like regional restrictions so there, there's a caveat to this but yeah most of the time you have a website and uh, the benefit of employing a social commerce strategy is if you don't have like a developer that can make sure that everything is rendering across every type of phone device every mm -hmm. type of of um you know internet browser because it's a social media platform, it's already super fast, super optimized. There's no external page you have to do. It just pulls the details and condenses it down mm -hmm. um, to the most pertinent of information so that someone can make a quick decision and buy versus all the friction allowed where if they leave Instagram or TikTok to go to a website and your website doesn't load fast enough or your website has something broken, any mm -hmm. friction you add to the user's experience is going to prohibit them from making the purchase okay and when we talk about social commerce does that mean that increasingly the share of sales happening on social media is going up while uh, or is, is it kind of additive to what you already have on your main site or is taking away from from sales that you would typically have on on the main e-commerce site that's such a good question and like the two words that say that depends um, depending on how your strategy is set up, social commerce can be like a new channel, like okay. an Amazon, almost how like you have some, like there's always going to be a halo effect mm -hmm. where if you have an Amazon brand and say that Amazon brand is doing 10 million a year, yep. your .com is doing like 5 million a year, running ads to your .com is going to generally have like a 20-ish, 25% lift on your Amazon and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So there is crossover. Um, but um, honestly, in what we've seen in like successful deployments, especially like if this is a category you're really interested in, mm -hmm. pay attention to what's happening in China and Japan and South Korea. They are five, 10 years ahead of us in the social commerce wow. game. So really? You, oh, it's, it's embarrassing. But also like I get a lot of credit for being a futurist in terms of social commerce. Okay. And honestly, um, you know, full, full disclosure Yes. There is nothing futurist about it when I'm just looking at the blueprint of where they are now. Oh, wow. It's, like, it's where could we're you, could, could you give it. some examples? Like what, what are they doing differently than, oh. than the West currently? Yeah, okay, great. Well, TikTok, well, everyone knows TikTok. It's, uh, it has a different name in China, but it, it's blowing up. What's interesting is what has been trending on TikTok in the US was trending five years ago of TikTok in China. Wow really okay. oh it's it's so it's so verbatim like dances and silly stuff and you know yes fancy all those gigs beautiful women. Yeah. yes yes that was years ago what's working now in china is a lot of entertainment and science and education wow so that's not just like doom scrolling it's it's enhancing your education enhancing mm -hmm. your life um and other like so that's it's really really obvious and when you look at this you're like wow Oh my gosh, this is so predictive. It's it's like history repeating itself. Okay. Um, other things that are really big difference. Um, influencer marketing, we've been doing that in the West, sure. Mm -hmm. Nowhere at the level they're doing in the East. There is an influencer who made like $17 million in 24 hours of wow. sales. There's wow. a great video. Like they, they do it at such a mass scale. Like, yes, there are a billion people, but they're doing it in a way that it's coordinated efforts. You can buy directly okay. online, live shopping. The group's social yes. dynamics are... Live, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Live shopping is something that I heard about maybe six months ago. And apparently oh. it's something big in Asia, right? Yeah. It's like massive there. But but yes. we don't see that very often in the West. We, we have QVC. 
we have like the home shopping network where they're like infomercials and it's mm -hmm. on a TV. It's not done in a social media website fashion. Mm -hmm. So the closest we can see are these like home buying networks, which are, which are significant. We have clients that are on these shows and we know that it's like in Amazon, it's a different channel. It's a wholesale environment where they do have successful sales. Yes. But the way they do it in the East is like, you'll have someone saying like, okay, hey, everyone that wants to buy like this, this lip tint, this lip tint, it's normally $12. Right now it's $6.99, $6.99. Oh, we've already sold out $500. Next, wow. now I'm choosing the next product. It's done like an auction type of fast paced okay. environment. And the communal piece, the social piece is so brilliant and yes. so neglected in the West that like you... You look at it and think we're dinosaurs. Do you think it's gonna catch? It's gonna catch on here as well. Like we w we will get there as well, or or it's just different mentality of of a typical Western buyer. My assumption is it's gonna come here. Like my predictions are because QR codes, for example, mm -hmm. became really popular because of COVID. They became mandatory. Now it's an expectation. Everyone is very comfortable with QR codes. Most people. Most people are comfortable with QR codes. QR codes, the way they have been normalized in the United States and in the West now, mm -hmm. was done 10 years ago in China. So there's a lot of other obvious copycat or history repeating itself. We're just behind. It's like we're on dial-up right now and they're on 5G. I've seen, I've seen that website called TMU. TMU? Uh, how, how do you pronounce yeah. it? T yeah, TMU. I say Temu. Temu, yes. And there's another one called Shane as well. Shein, yeah. Shein. So... I, and I read an article recently that says that those sites are at least yeah. TeamU. It's the most downloaded app currently on the app stores. So how long has a site like TeamU been around and how fast did it grow? I don't know the history of TeamU or Shein or those brands, but I do know personally, at least because of the connections I have with the Indian community, especially in the West, uh, like here in the US, yep. I have known about TeamU for the most for significantly longer than most, I didn't know most people didn't know about it yeah. because I had many friends from China showing me this okay. as like an aggressive Amazon takeover. And like, I could really go deep into this. Um, like if you look at how Alibaba is, which has like a greater longevity, that's a better website to um, yes. look at um, in a comparison of Amazon. But she and Temu Fashion Nova, there's a several of these big brands that are heavily funded um, and have this, playbook that they're following that if you are an e-commerce friend i cannot recommend more looking at the app looking at their websites looking at their language changes like look at how their websites vary from mexico to u.s like mm -hmm. just change the dot com to dot mx and you will see the difference it is again like a written playbook that you can basically copy and paste all of the innovation that they have done because the money they have invested in split testing has allowed them to accelerate such advancements in the market I mean, mm -hmm. they also provide their USP is that it's a for, like a more affordable solution because they're cutting out the small business owner that sells on Amazon. They're yeah. providing direct from factory and making a competitor and reducing the margin so that at scale, they're incredibly profitable. But they wouldn't be successful if they weren't doing a million orders a day. Like there has to be. Uh, they a spend record. a lot in, in ads as well, right? Of course. Because uh, the first time I discovered Timu was when I saw probably an ad on, on, on Instagram or Facebook. And then ever since I see ads following me everywhere I go on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> like retargeting, right? But yes. uh, they seem to be like investing a lot in advertising and, and paid, uh, paid channels. Oh, oh, definitely. I, I, I can't even imagine how big their campaigns are. But it's not like it's not even just to one platform. It's 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 just a the West has been such a destination for commerce sales. There are so many foreign entities that have launched businesses in the US that they don't even sell in their local markets. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, China historically, stereotypically, has been accused of IP theft. So there are brands that are taking directly from and like we've, I faced it with Amazon brands that I own, where a yep. knockoff brand steals the print, makes a replicated product, cuts, undercuts the pricing. There's a lot of black hat tactics and stuff like tombstoning is a really big thing that's happened a lot where, where a brand would buy the Canadian Amazon store and then mm -hmm. change all the PDPs, same oh. picture, but change the description to say all this stuff that gets you shut down. And because the Amazon server and the 
you, in Canada and the U.S. are in the same server, mm -hmm. if you were shut down in Canada, you were shut down in the U.S. And that takes three okay. to four months to get your listing back up. Well, someone else can come in, swoop all your competition in three months, make enough money, walk away. Mm, I see. So things like that have happened. But what's really interesting, again, in that like looking at the advancement of social commerce, the intersection of East and West and the um, blending of currencies and brands, yeah. Previously, China steals. Now, what's interesting is China has been like, hey, we were copying, we were pasting, we were, we're doing these black hat, but still allowable tactics. Mm -hmm. Now there's this huge, hey, you know what? We want to partner with those in the West because we've had this like reputation stain. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is we know commerce better than most Westerners, period. But we need that Western touch, that experience to accommodate to the U.S. marketer or to the mm -hmm. U.S. consumer in a way that it's like one plus one equals 17. Yes. One of the drawbacks or let's say one of the negative elements when it comes to those big Chinese websites is the element of trust. Many people in the West probably do not trust sure. those sites or maybe they don't trust that they will receive whatever they order or maybe the quality of the products they order. Have, have these Chinese like big e-commerce players uh, worked on that front and improved when it comes to providing trust? That's such a good question because it's going to vary significantly. I think the part of the collaboration with the Western side is is honestly having a mascot. Like you have the trust built um, and you have that lens to see, hey, this looks really scammy. Yeah. But to be honest, a lot of American small businesses are using Chinese products and they're using inferior products Okay. Like they are sacrificing. And then reselling them, reselling them. And reselling them for a okay. profit. And so it's it's interesting of like where this marketing came from. But ultimately, I think depending on where you are in the United States, depending on who is the president, because mm -hmm. politics play a lot into this, as is Hollywood. Um, I do yeah. think quality as a whole from China in the next 10 years is going to be a different conversation because of where they've invested money in terms of like electrical batteries, like batteries is wow. currently like the biggest limitation to human technological advancement, period. Okay. Where they're investing their time, their research, they're building superior products at like a at lower prices. industry. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm talking like cars and home developments okay. that will become a standard in the West, I think, which will okay. then diminish down to China will not be an inferior product like, I think there's going to be, like, if there's, like, the swing of the pendulum, my yep. assumption is that Chinese products are going to have a superior quality check. Wow. Because they are just further advanced. Like, they'll become the Apple, while the okay. West will be Android. But what what about the pricing strategy? Will they remain, uh, uh, you know, lowly priced? Like, would the prices still be low? Or they are even amping up their pricing Oh, that's that's a really good question. So for a lot of things that the, where they're amping up pricing is, I think they're always going to have this low ticket entry offer. Okay. But then they're they're building the luxury style of it because on oh. Tingwu, on Shein, you can still get shirts for four dollars, but you can also get bags for five hundred. Really? Okay. Yes. Okay. All made in China for sure. Um, I, I mostly guess. probably. Guess, yeah. but they're expanding this. So I think it's just say like they're they're becoming like an Amazon where the pricing is agnostic. It's just the delivery of the product, and they're like this mega mega online store. We have everything yes. for everybody. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, now going back to the topics of e-commerce and social commerce, you mentioned that influencers are increasingly playing a role. So what are strategies that a typical e-commerce platform can nowadays leverage to take advantage of influencers and uh, in a way uh, use social media and influencers to generate more sales. What are some strategies that, that you see are working in the market? Uh, so one is, I mean, the easiest obvious one is TikTok shops. It's hard to still get it because people won't follow all the directions, but you're able to work with influencers without having to work with influencers. It's the easiest way you make your products available. And if an influencer chooses to make the product, it's set up in a win-win situation so that the influencer and the brand are set up for success. Um, what's working now is having like strategic influencer partnerships mm -hmm. where there's 
clear incentives. I think what didn't work and what people still do at large is that if they are partnering with an influencer, they're putting all the onus on the influencer to do all the tracking. And it's like this gatekeeping scenario and Mm -hmm. holding the influencer hostage. A lot of influencers, especially English speaking influencers in the West, are rallying together. Like my assumption is that there's going to be a union within 10 years for influencers. But the the influencers that are rallying together, they're working with agencies that have partnerships so that you can collect, hey, if you're looking for mothers with young children in, you know, like same-sex households, here's a plethora of ones that you can partner with and then do combining. Because working with one influencer and spending all your budget is a really big risky situation. But instead, going at the nano or the micro-influencer who have greater spreading the risk. In their- Spreading in their the budget. environment has yeah. much greater impact. Another thing that I see working really, really well that like is like sort of like a ninja trick, but I'm not worried about telling it because most people I tell never follow up. Um, going after the Spanish influencers are like one eighth, if not one fiftieth of the cost. Okay. Going up, you can have a massive Mexican celebrity. Yes. For a cheaper price than an micro- Olympic American hero. Really? Yes. Wow. And I've, I've seen contracts wow. for wow. a very, the ask, the minimum, the requirements of a very successful, well-medaled Olympic athlete compared to a 20 million followers Mexican singer. What the ask so, is, what the impact is on the lift, it's day and night. Especially if you want to reach out to the Latino uh, yes. population, right? So it's also yep. personalizing and customizing the uh, the choice of the influencers depending on your target audience. And it's not even in Spanish. I'm not saying this content is for Spanish. It's not even in Spanish. Okay. No, it's in English. Oh, oh wow. I see because what you mean. Okay. you can fly in a Mexican or a, a South American influencer to do the content if you have a destination, right? You can fly yep. them in at costs relatively the same as if you're flying an American influencer from California. Mm-hmm. Uh, so costs are relatively the same, but the impact that they have to the brand like look i'm partnering with american brands they yes. carry that weight because it to their whole audience it means a lot more a lot okay. it's like hey they've made it and then okay. to all the expats or all of the fans in the u.s they're like holy uh-huh. smokes what is this singer do oh, this is amazing and there's we've seen yes. a higher return in the bottom line and a lower investment and a greater okay. relationship wow so these are like all uh, secret tips that you're sharing here on our on our podcast. So thanks for that. <laughs> and if you don't but, use it, like, like I, 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 I'm not saying I don't tell other people this. I just, yes. I'm super mindful that like I'm telling you it works, and I know you, you've I've tried it probably, right? It. Yes. So okay, cool. Um, do you think those new innovations like using VR and augmented reality? Do you think these things? will play a role increasingly in e-commerce and uh, driving engagement and doing things differently? Do you think yes. these, these will increasingly be important? Oh, yes. It's going to be a standard. It's going to be an expectation. People had the pandemic where they're inside and desperate for connection. Mm-hmm. Then they were exposed to much connection. So there has to be a hybrid model. In order for an e-commerce store, brick and mortar to survive, to not be price gauged out, buy a Chinese brand that is offering the USP of, I'm a lot cheaper. You have to have experiential commerce, right? Okay. Like, and social commerce, socializing is at the like crux of that. So Nutella store in Chicago, great example. M&M store here in Orlando, mm-hmm. great example where you're selling a commerce product, but you have an experiential element where okay. you can infuse VR, augmented reality, mixed reality. Those are the three pieces in a way that tells the brand story for a greater, longer brand impact. Some examples. A lot of shipping companies have had QR codes that if you're using augmented reality, you can showcase a different level of experience. So you have now enhanced the unboxing part of that. What does that take? Building that one time and then printing a QR code. But the earned media, the extension of brand awareness and brand equity is so large that the brands who are doing it appear to be unique. But it's not that unique, it's super old. But people don't test it. So I I do believe that the mixed reality, the augmented reality is gonna become a a larger part because Gen Z, Gen Y, like those folks grow up with it. 
Yes. And so Instagram filters, we all know about Instagram filters. They've been, that is part of augmented reality, mixed reality, and virtual reality. That's, that's an element of that, and we're accustomed to it because of Snapchat. Okay. The next generation, their virtual reality quests and even like what's coming out with Apple is, is their Nintendo. So yep. it's going to be an expectation of, I want to buy this product, but I like we, we have a consumer that's never wanted to know more about a product than ever before. Every consumer wants to become an expert. I want to know all the ingredients. I want to know everything about it before I invest my dollar. Oh my goodness. It's, it's a lot of data and content to keep up with. But in mixed realities, virtual reality situations, we'll be able to accommodate that at scale. You can't, you cannot do it in person. And so I think it's, it's going to be a demanded upon element, especially for brands that are at the billion dollar mark. If you're not doing it, you are going to lose to the small okay. startups that will eat you up all day long. Just a question. When you, when you mention mixed reality, what do you exactly mean? So I know that there is AR, augmented reality and virtual reality. So is this something in between or? Yeah. So, I mean, people use the words and terms intermittently, but they okay. are three different um, right. elements. Mixed reality, like to get, not to get too deep and too nerdy into this element, but like yeah. ways that you can see the mixed reality is like the interactivity of in person. Like some of that might be like you're driving a Tesla and you can see on your screen, screen yes. elements that are mixing and engaging. Like you're like, hey, there's a stop feet. Like you can see a stop sign and you oh, can see okay. the encroaching piece. I see what you mean. Yes, 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 yes. So you're not in a virtual environment where you're fully submerged, usually okay. wearing goggles. Um, and you're not in an augmented reality where like your screen is coming to life. It's this okay. mixed hybrid intersection where it's providing you greater diplomacy in consuming that information. Okay. I've also read at one point in the past that one company that sells probably, uh, I don't remember, like products or perfumes online will uh, is like launching a device whereby you can, like they use smells depending on what you choose online. And then you can actually smell at a distance. I don't know if this is true or not, or if you've un encountered oh, that. I haven't heard of this, but yes. um, with wearable tech, like I, I was with my really good friend. Wearable. Yeah, wearable yeah. tech is, is, is advancing way faster. Like I was with my really good friend, Stura. She's like huge in the ideation space. Um, and we were talking about like, when will the aura ring have um, the intersection of mindfulness and mental health well-being? It tracks your sleep, it tracks your exercise, but yeah. we also have like thresholds of tolerance, especially in different environments where people may have a different value system or mm -hmm. um, they are family members that you married into. For example, stereotypically, I love my mother-in-law. This is not the case, but let's assume you're in a situation <laughs> where you have a threshold of patience for your mother-in-law. You know it. Yeah. Um, and maybe you don't quantify that as two hours. It changes by the different environments and the asks to that situation. But you know, similar to being hungry and then becoming hangry, imagine yeah. if you had a wearable device that like, say you tapped one, two, three, like some specific pattern, and then you can have yeah. a specific fragrance that helps your cortisol levels decrease. Like a specific, wow. um, like, rewind or collection of notifications to your partner or just someone else that could signify that you need an out before you hit the put the point of no return before you hit that yeah. um inflection point where you're mm -hmm. not hungry anymore you're hangry and now you're saying things that maybe you regret like that's where wearable technology is going to come to play where you get to yes. incorporate the mindfulness and the non-physical elements into yes. like I said, there are fragrances that can stimulate a reduction in your cortisol levels. Yes, yes, for sure. It's one of the five senses and yeah. it's like seeing something good or bad. It, it totally influences your mindset, your yeah. your emotional states. So, yeah, I mean, with regards to e-commerce specifically, do you see or have you seen any trend whereby they're incorporating like these remote wearables to trigger a, a purchase or... Uh, to maybe or even maybe buying an experience at a distance you see like you would buy something online but then using wearable technology you avail that experience wherever you are yes have you seen something in that space or, or not yet we're not yet there no no it's it's there and the way it's going to be commercialized even further is like with netflix having commercials 
you're going to expose yourself to more ads and more like the less you pay, the more at risk you are for that consumer behavior to be manipulated is the word some people will say or leveraged okay. um, for relevant ads. But I've seen it ugh, maybe like eight years ago. Xbox, like Microsoft was doing um, an element. So they have these grocery carts mm-hmm. that based off of products you put into your cart. All of that's yep. connected. You can go into a grocery store and out of the grocery store without paying. It was using the Xbox like, um, gosh, whatever that Movements. movement. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so yeah, that yeah, they yeah. can see. see and take pictures of the products you're putting into your cart. And so wow. well as add it to a card and your cards are already in file. So if you walk out, you're automatically charged. Um, based wow. on that, say you put, let's say you put this snail mucin into your cart. Okay. Then you decide to put it back. You can then get an email or on your wearable, on your watch of a coupon code or a coupon that you like, hey, did you want to put that back in? Oh. Or like connected back to your refrigerator. Hey, just so you know, yeah. this is actually expiring in two weeks. So you should get another one. Wow. You can have that connection so th- that stuff has existed i don't know if it's commercially available but like i remember reading and watching content about that years yes. ago when mm. again with the walt disney company that was something that was a regular habit that like i've continued on but most e-commerce brands or even like sally brands or other brands we work with don't have a budget for the innovative okay. madness of things that you can do mm-hmm. but for those that are like humble and hungry and really to like get into it there's a lot of stuff that's already been written that again if you just look at what china was doing five years ago you'll be like oh cool that's coming up in six months yeah i mean things are moving very fast nowadays across the board in digital and more specifically of course with with regards to ai do you see ai playing a bigger role in general in e-commerce in yeah. social commerce and, and, and selling online? I think... A, a part of SEO, sorry. A part of creating content for SEO. Yeah, 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 for sure. So VTubers, are you familiar about VTubers? No. So, okay, that's another thing. Like, I, I, I'm suspending judgment of like that, but like VTubers are huge. It's a virtual YouTuber, so a faceless mascot. That's already very successful. And like, if you look at like what Japan okay. has done, they have a hologram celebrity. Um, wow. So AI is going to, of course, continue to fall. But we've been using AI for like decades. It's just people don't think about it and they look at like generative AI, gen AI, where they're doing like we, like I said, we grew in a year, a website, an e-commerce website, brand new, very competitive space, over 100,000 organic visitors a month. Mm -hmm. All through content we generated with AI, not by AI, we do with AI. Um, What's great about it is every day, AI is the worst it will be in the future, right? So the AI, where we are with AI today, is yes. worse than it will be in any other day Correct. in the future because it's continuously evolving. Correct. Um, but I think AI is going to continue to be incorporated in the content, but I think it's going to be on the words and the images, but we're going to have AI in video because we consume video, which wow. is where if you're an e-commerce brand, how you can stay out ahead of AI right now is because AI video is not there yet. You can turn a blog into an ad within seconds using an AI tool like Picturate, where you just submit the blog, then they an AI will pull yeah. all the available B-roll and make an ad for you that explains that blog. Now, it doesn't have you, but it's still a video that tells the content mm-hmm. that can still provide really great resources that could cost you anywhere between $100 to you know $1,000 to create. So I yes. think AI is going to grow for e-commerce brands is going to be more of um, going back to mixed realities, like you can try on stuff. You'll have recommendations. Okay. Going back to the social commerce Recommender side. systems, yes, for sure. I yeah. mean, all those recommender systems work using AI, I guess. Yes. And they've been using AI. That's the whole point. But if you go back yes. and you look at how China's doing it with social commerce and what you're buying in groups, like you can do this group purchasing. So say like, hey, I'm going to sell this green tea emulsion. Mm-hmm. It's normally 30 bucks. I'm going to sell it to anyone that gets a group of 20 people. You'll get it for $10 each. So then you go out and find buyers to get that discount with you. So it's true social group couponing in a way that then now you all know you've intersected your consumer behavior, that you'll get notifications if they buy something and and that AI intersection of what they liked, I presume you're going to like it. So it's no longer like, hey, this is like what others are buying. We know you're going to like this. It's again, that continued recommendation 
But also for those that don't want the same thing or that do want the same thing as mm -hmm. an influencer or as a friend, you'll have AI to disclose that without disclosing it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, AI is definitely a game changer when it comes to uh, almost everything we do online nowadays. And as you just uh, rightly pointed, uh, e-commerce is no exception. Um, um, with regards to social commerce, just one important thing, since it leverages social media and, you know, on social media, you have all the data and all your uh, dislikes and likes. Is there any privacy concern when it comes to, you know, understanding your past purchasing sure. behaviors and then, uh, you know, lawsuits potentially or stuff like that or... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad to say, forgot one. When you talk about like, will AI grow? I think AI will grow, but also as equal as the political influence. I cannot, have, I mean, we're coming into a, an election year in the US. Yeah. So like the political influence greatly impacts it. And so I'm in Florida. We passed a law last year in the Senate where there's now behavioral targeting restrictions. Okay. There's, there's lots changing and brands aren't going to pay attention and they're going to be like, eviscerated if they don't curate better audiences and cr and craft better offers um for the but privacy concerns so, sorry in the u.s these laws vary by state right yes, not yes. all this the u.s follow law. the same there's seven other states that have passed similar laws so, yes it does vary okay so i know for example that california is is a bit more stringent on those yes. laws like they follow maybe a european model right they are like very about data privacy and and uh, you know protecting all these individual preferences uh, but how can advertisers navigate those differences between all those different sure. uh, locations and you are in the same country fortunately it's not always on the advertiser again i'm not a lawyer but as i understand like it's it's Meta, it's Google, it's Amazon. It's the brands that are doing revenue of 50%, 51% or more is attributed to their company's revenue to advertising. Mm -hmm. At least it's the floor law. If 51% or more of that company's revenue is to advertising and they're doing over a billion dollars a year, they are required to set up the system so that the advertisers okay. who use it are safely using it. Got it. Such that if you're targeting Floridians, you cannot target for example, and like, I'm not an expert on the law. This is my understanding. Like if you have someone in Florida who has engaged extensively with dog related software, if they have mm -hmm. made so many dog purchases, if they list that one of their kids is a dog, if they are a member of all of these <laughs> Facebook groups with dogs, all that mm -hmm. information is mm -hmm. done inside of Facebook. Okay. That information will be restricted. So if you're targeting dog owners, in Florida, it's going to have to be more generic, broad. So where you have to is you have to have creative that curates your audiences so that the behavior of the algorithm is saying like, hey, here's a really cute dog. All of the mm -hmm. cat people are going to be like, oh, gross, and ignore it. And all the dog lovers are going to be like, oh, tell me more. It just, it's all about relevant advertising. But long and short is it's going to be more dependent on the bigger brands to set up the safety measures okay. for brands. But I'm not a lawyer. You know, there's... We're in a litigious society, so there's always opportunity. And you brought yes. up the lawsuits for AI. It's continuously evolving. Like, it's really interesting seeing so many authors come after saying, you've trained your computer software on my systems. Like, it's, it's really fascinating. There's a lot of bias as well when it comes to AI, you know, minorities. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, so a lot of things that, you know, people, sh companies should be careful whenever yes. they deploy or train their, their AI models. Yes. Uh, because as you said, uh, things are now evolving. Things are changing by the minute. Yep. Uh, and I don't think regulation and, and legislation has, has catched has. They will you know, never be caught up. Never. You can't. Yeah, at least at one point, if they have, if they protect like the, the main lines, the, the most important aspect of uh, the implications of having AI, at least, you know, if we have the core handled then everything else will be like an addition but even we're not even there yet there's no like general consensus on if ai is good not good what is permitted what isn't permitted so states and countries are you know have different opinions on that matter i appreciate your optimistic view my assumption is that like um politicians will always be behind until politicians are as diverse as their congregation they're always going to have a bias as well um 
that uh, most politicians come from very specific backgrounds. They're lawyers, they're business owners. They're not always doctors or teachers or mm. plumbers. So again, yeah. they have a very limited frame to focus on. And until they're as diverse as the, the population, it's always going to be biased. It's always going to be off. Um, the other component too is like the assumption of is AI good, is AI bad? To put that growth blanket on top runs the risk of um, AI will be as good or as bad as the person who created it. Behind every software is a person who wrote the code. Even if there's a person mm -hmm. who wrote the code for the AI to write the code, um, it comes back to the same as like the way you look at textbooks, right? It's the author yeah. who details how much information is told and which historical elements Absolutely. we talk about. There's always a level of bias and a lens of bias. I just think that Hollywood is going to have the biggest impact. So it's like Hollywood and politicians play a bigger role in the the advertising and like the the e-commerce space then people lend credit to it and so a lot of the ai fear i think comes behind films like terminator and i yeah. know that people <laughs> quote hollywood based it's, content. it's one of my favorite movies by the way especially the second one well, <laughs> They're okay, married okay. To... <laughs> so yeah. i mean i so dr jordan Wynn, he's an australian brilliant guy in the ai space um yeah. especially in virtual reality um he has created content where AI and mixed reality helped an individual who was deemed um, paralyzed after a okay. motorcycle accident, a medical impossibility. He was able to have movement in his legs and stand up unassisted. Really? Because of using AI? You mean using AI technology? Using virtual reality as well as additional AI pieces. Like it's, it's, there's, okay. there's these advancements. And if those stories aren't told and the yeah. ones that do well are Arnold Schwarzenegger films, of course, you're, you're going to have this bias, but AI can be good. AI can be bad. A human can be good. A human can be bad. You're a right. Can be good. Product can be bad. At the end of the day, it's how you, how we human use AI. We can use it for yeah. the good or we can use it for the bad. But, um, I'm also talking about quality and, and when I say good, I don't only mean Mm, okay. Uh, the, the, the ethical aspect. So, for example, Here. I don't know if you followed Google's algorithm updates recently, like like maybe six months ago or a year ago. Google sa used to say, you know, we prime content written by human, and now yes. they're saying it's okay to use AI generated content uh, yes. if that content is of good quality. So, by the minute, month after month, Google is changing its mind when it comes oh. to AI generated content. So, uh, at the end of the day. It all boils down to if, you know, the end product is as if it's written by, by a human being, then it's as good as. Well, that's you know, interesting because yeah. you're assuming that a human can provide quality stuff. It, ask anyone who's listening that's a high school teacher for English. There's a lot of bad stuff that's written by humans. Correct. Um, but um, what's really interesting on that component is where Google's opinion on incorporating uh, priority of AI written content over human written content I think was just based on the general analysis of the content at scale that was provided. I don't think they've actually changed anything because their expertise, authority, trust, the experience yeah. for the individual user has been at the forefront of what is quality for them. And a year ago, a lot of people were terrible at AI input. So your AI, generative AI or whatever AI quality product you're returning back can only be good as the input you provided the prompts yeah yes the prompts or all those things associated to it and i think we i mean there's careers that have grown as prompt engineers there's yeah. there's just we've had a year of people at large like chat gpt opened the floodgates of the number of people that were using it and you have so much now diverse input where i was a part of like a small minority leveraging Gen AI years ago, um, but now that you've had so much more input, it's gone mainstream. Yeah, has the humans have become better, not the AI. The humans got better. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But in all cases, I think any AI generated content should be re-edited by a human okay. uh, person because it looks like Google has ways to identify if. Uh, you know, like a certain sentence is following the same structure throughout your text, and then they can straight away categorize this as AI generated 
output without any originality or without any uh, uh, human intervention. So it looks like that's what I read recently that it has to be re-edited so that it meets a certain a certain uh, standard of quality and let's yes. call it naturalness. Uh, it has to appear as if it's not just like uh, created by an automated um, yeah. grammatical or syntax uh, uh, construct. You see what I mean? So in all cases, AI is uh, is in itself like a huge topic. We're not going to... Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to that. like bogart to... the conversation. I was like, oh. No, like, the country. This commerce is... and AI? This is my... This is my love state, yeah. but yeah, sorry, listen. Yes, and this is uh, this is uh, this intersection is extremely uh, interesting. I think AI and e-commerce, and I think there's a lot that that will happen in that space in the near future, especially when it comes. I think also to recommenders. We've we've touched upon recommender systems a little bit, but if you look at Netflix, for example, Netflix is extremely good at yep. recommending movies that you like, right, or 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 TV shows, and I think they they have like a very advanced ai system that that does that so uh do you see that happening as well in e-commerce or we've already done that so so i mean, we've already done it i just don't think people have put a name to it or paid attention like like netflix great example of ai user content one thing that's fun is like five years ago for netflix a prank that i would play on some friends is if i yep. added a bunch of coco melon shows and i liked yep. coco melon shows or anime shows or or uh, shows in a genre that was not their desired result at all, I would destroy their algorithm. And they would just okay. be like, why is all this reality TV showing up in my Netflix recommendations? What happened? So yeah. they're like years ago, their AI was based off of input of, I like this, I don't like this. Okay. Now it's evolved and where I think it's going to continue to evolve. Like we're already there. We're, we're totally there. It's just going to continue to improve. I think it's going to be consumption behavior that's okay. across multiple devices. So if you listen to books at two and a half speed yeah. and you watch YouTube videos at one and a half speed and then you spend 10 minutes on one single blog, the algorithms will then better interpret that you walked away. This was too boring for you versus historically, this must be really good. They're spending 10 minutes on the time. So having that oh. differentiation of okay. what is quality consumption based off of how do you behave on content consumption in other areas? So I think that's like wow. where it will continue to improve. But then you have to be mindful of yeah. politics because then you're going to have restrictions on that information being shared. And just my my two cents of like where I want to be like considered is in Europe, as I understand it, Meta has now a, a way that you can pay mm -hmm. to not have certain advertising. And Correct. that, like, that yeah. had to be incorporated. Facebook and all those platforms yeah. will make you pay yeah. and then you can get an ad-free experience. Yes. Because the ads supported you having an... Like Meta owns Instagram and Facebook, WhatsApp. Ads and that data that they leveraged supported and funded a free social network. Mm -hmm. And now what I find really interesting and like something I want to suspend curiosity... Or sorry, suspend judgment and lead with curiosity is uh, for the individuals that forgive me for blanket this but it feel entitled to protecting their data privacy when they're mm -hmm. using a tool that's free and something they're not required or mandated to now if a facebook login was required to get school access absolutely i'd have a huge restriction there but it's still a tool that because it's been so accepted like worldwide yeah. like it's so used internationally the assumption that like it's an expectation of what I'm owed, this like almost level of entitlement sounds really interesting of, hey, I need I want to protect the privacy behavior of all that I do on this very free app yeah. that I've been using and I want to continue to use for free. So I, I think yeah. that's politics and Hollywood will play. The way that that comes out in a film and the success of that film will dictate a lot of where it will continue to grow. Okay, okay. On a more personal level, Lauren, what do you do for, for fun? A part of working in e-commerce and digital? Um, I dragon boat, I fence, uh, I learn languages, um, I uh, go for bubble yeah, tea. Ab ab sorry, about languages. What are the three languages that you're learning? The, the three Asian ones. So Chinese for sure, I yeah, guess. Yeah, Mandarin. Um, Mandarin, Mandarin, it's definitely 
something that like my goal at the end of 2024 is to pass the HSK4 level. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah. You've, you've been studying it for, for a long time? It depends. Depends on who's asking. Are you a fluent Mandarin speaker? <laughs> no. I don't speak. <laughs> I right, don't speak so, any Mandarin at all. Um, yeah. Like, so I took classes um, at the Orlando Chinese School and our uh, Chinese School of Orlando and uh, did that for a year and a half, like two okay. hours on Saturdays, a few months a year. Um, and is so it mainly for business purposes because you you run your website sourcing Asian product? This is why or not necessarily? No, I just like learning languages and actually the. Okay. Asian Beauty Central store came after learning Chinese and Korean um, mm -hmm. because I just, you know, we in the United States, we have such a diverse population and I want to make sure that everyone feels welcomed and yeah. that I can say hi or at least understand and learn about a culture that I don't know enough about enough yeah. so that I can, you know, play my part. And if, if I can have, if I can make everyone smile, yeah, good, bad, ugly, everyone in between, if I can help someone have just a smaller, happier part of their day. And even if that's saying like, like, hey, like, like, did you eat in their language? <laughs> that yes. joy, the endorphins that they'll get by seeing this like giant blonde woman who has no stare to the business of knowing anything <laughs> Chinese to ask yes. me if I ate. Like that, that's, so I wanted to learn. It was like five bucks an hour. It's like, sure, I don't know anything about Chinese. Okay. I found Korean classes for a dollar an hour. I was That's like, really I don't cool. know anything there. And the third one is Thai because I'm hoping to um, spend two Thai. months in wow. Thailand and work out okay. of Bangkok. And I'd like to not be uh, given white people pricing. <laughs> That's really cool. So you are, so and you speak Italian already, right? You have, do you have Italian roots? No, no, no. no. I, I studied French in school. So okay. I was quite good at French, but my husband is born and raised in Italy, and I didn't want oh, his okay, family yes. to yes. not communicate with me. So I <laughs> called my mother-in-law every day for a year, and now I'm I'm very fluent. Wow, that's really cool. So you speak all in all like five languages? It depends. It depends. I, I okay. studied American Sign Language. It depends on who is, like, if you don't know American Sign Language, I'm really good at American Sign Language. If you know American okay. Sign Language, like, I, I've taken a few years of American Sign Language, yes. right? Um, so it depends on what is the level of fluency. So where I'm most excited about um, Mandarin is taking that HSK because it's a it's an acknowledged level and a test that I would pass to say, yes, yeah. she has a, a comprehensive understanding of the Mandarin language. The same as like when I worked at the Walt Disney Company, I, I did get French and Italian fluency badges to my name added okay. because I had to take a test. So I had to converse with a native speaker only in that language they could ask any questions throw my way and i had to reply only in french only in italian they only okay. spoke french and italian so yes. yeah but Great. i i mean i struggle with english too right like i communicate now with my hands come on more than anything. you're a native english speaker so <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool uh lauren it's been a pleasure to talk to you i think uh you know, we've covered a lot of ground and, and, and we probably should have a round two at one point later on. But before we sign off, any final words? Um, if anyone is like really nerding out about what is happening in the East and where social commerce is evolving, if this is something you're super into, like I am book recommendations for days. Like, please hit me up on social media. Like, let's be friends because... Uh, my husband and some of my friends are sick of me talking about the subject and I'd like to have more people to talk to. <laughs> For sure. I'll, I'll circulate the message to, uh, to our listeners. And yeah, in the meantime, I'd like to thank you for, uh, for your uh, participation today. It was really, really good and very exciting topics that we talked about, touched upon. And yeah, I hope that we'll have an, a round two at one point. Oh, absolutely. Like, hey, it's six months later, like, oh, look, that's exactly what was on the Toyin app. Or like, hey, want to have like, I'll, maybe I'll give you some fun trivia games. Like, hey, did you know that there is a social media app with just as many users as Instagram in China? Oh, you don't know that name? Okay, great. <laughs> Look at all the stuff of where the, the West is behind. And we think we're leading the world when I just, it, mm -hmm. you have to be careful. If you really think that U.S. is the best, like there's a lot of things I love about the USA. Don't get me wrong. But if you think the U.S. is the most advanced in e-commerce and in this space, um, Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are changing very fast and 
you know, a lot of people probably don't know that the East is 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 quite ahead in terms of digital marketing and yeah. e-commerce more specifically, social yeah. commerce as well. And live commerce, what you mentioned earlier as well, is is another trend in itself. So thank you. Thank you very much. And hope to speak soon. Yes, thank you for having me. And to everyone that stayed till the end, well done. Thank you. Thank you.